In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Ha, you probably didn't even realize that. I am back in the studio with my man, Jack. We are just rolling through the weekend here. So much is happening. I mean, it's crazy. Just NFL news left and right. Uh, Half kidding because it's the offseason. But regardless, you never know. There's always a news story here and there to talk about. But today, fasten your seatbelts, put on your shoulder harnesses, put the hard hats and helmets on. We're talking about the big men in the middle. I'm not talking about defensive tackle. I'm talking about the interior offensive linemen, the three men in the middle that protect your $230 million asset in the quarterback, pressure up the middle, no pressure, no diamonds in terms of defense. A lot of teams now focusing on coming through that A-gap, drumming through that B-gap, and the big men, the GCGs, as I call them, they're there to protect. And the Browns, they haven't really had many problems with the GCGs over the years from Batonio being pretty much a staple from that left guard position since 2014. And Wyatt Teller coming in at the right guard. But I know how much my man Jack loves to pay guards. Jack, how you doing, buddy, today? We're here to talk about your favorite $10 million men. Yeah, no, it's one where I'd much rather spend a lot less. Um, let's just put it that way. Um, but, hey, we're here where we are. Uh, but, no, it, it, lots of interesting discussion can be had how – how long are some of these guys going to be around? Um, mm-hmm. It's one we can look at. Um, but yeah, we've got to do them. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, this is one of those ones where you can tell over the course of the last few years, Browns fans have just become very expectant of good guard play because we've gotten relatively good guard play. I believe 50% of the people that were at the Super, are at the Super Bowl. Ah, I wish. 50% of the guys from the Browns that were at the Pro Bowl we're from the guard position. So we got our two uh, guardians. You probably don't get that reference, but that's our baseball team. Jack shaking his head. They renamed the Indians the guardians. So we have guards, guardians. Ha, ha, ha. Jackson McCurry will laugh at that one. I know he will. But anyways, Jack, what is the current state of our guard group? So the two guards both have guaranteed deals for this year, and there is no guarantees after that. So... Oh. Um, that, that's didn't, it. didn't they sign kind of identical contracts almost? Yeah, they effectively signed uh, very, very similar deals. Um, the APY looks different in average per year just because um, Betonio had money left on the table and other stuff that um, effectively balances out the same deal. But it's not just done after this year. They've each got two years left after that. Um, but this is the final guaranteed year. So after this year, there could easily be discussions on outs. Um, is Petonio still playing at that incredible level, which I expect him to? Um, but hey, any time play gets that old, you never know. It can take one injury and suddenly that guy that's 33 thinks, mm, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, can you get back to that peak physical condition? At that stage, you're not doing it just for the money. Um, 
because he he's already amassed crazy money. Yeah, and and that's the thing is you look at back former second round pick, plugged him in there next to Joe Thomas, and it's just been smooth sailing ever since, right? I mean, there was talk about moving him out to left tackle in the push, but I mean, realistically, if one of these two guys, Jack shakes his head just because he's looking for the value do it, do it, do it, do it. The uh, the idea is if you're if one of these two guys, I mean, we consider them both locks just based on their contracts and play. If there is a conversation to be had, it is the possibility. I know you wrote an article on it. What does trading Wyatt Teller look like? Now, I'm again, as your article says, we are not advocating for the trading of Wyatt Teller. We understand that Cleveland really loves pancakes, okay? We understand you love the pancake counter and all that stuff. And truth be told, he's a super interesting guy. I find him to be very entertaining. He's fun to watch on the field. Some people don't like his wife. I think she's very nice. I, I enjoy following her on social media. Uh, we've exchanged messages back and forth in a few, a few cases, you know, just about some funny things. But outside of that, what does a trade for Teller look like? I think you. it's a low third um, would be where I think it is because teams just don't trade guards. Um, it's just kind of looking back when I looked at earlier in the offseason, there's just not many examples. Um, I'd like where to correct they're... you. The Browns traded Kevin Bailey. So just for the record, we, we, did, we did that one. When every time Jack... I would say that's it. more about a salary cap dump and a reversal because of the OBJ in there. Anytime somebody says this has never happened in the league or no one ever does... I always said don't tend not to. I was... Always look in Brown's history. At some point, we've done it. Like if they're like, craziest ways to lose a game, Browns are probably just mastering that way. Oh, he took his helmet off and threw it. Oh, yeah, lost the game. Oh, yeah, well... Always the Browns. So I, I, I digress. I'll let you continue. I apologize. Yeah, so I'd say a third would be a, a good return um, because at the end of the day, someone is taking on a contract where they'd have to pay him $12.5 million this year, $14 million next year, $14.8 million the year after. So it's not like you're getting him on the cheap and you're like, hey, yeah, woo, we've got this guy. It's always about the contract rather than the player in a trade because you're trading contracts. You don't get control of him at whatever number you fancy. You've got control of him at the deal he's signed. So I think it's one where, yeah, I, I think you struggle. You, you probably could find that trade. Um, and how hard is it to replace him? And that's where we come on to the next guard. Um, he's a free agent. And we look at Yoni, Yoni Froholt. Um, I'm not quite sure how I get Yelda. Yelda, Yelda Froholt. You look at his level of play and it was excellent um we people think what uh, was this guy watching the same um guy that we all watched last year and i was but let's just focus on the four games he played at right guard so he played 231 snaps at right guard and in terms of the pff grade it was basically identical i think he's 70.0 and teller's 70.3 for the season but effectively, he's playing at that level. And that, for me, is somewhere where I'm going, well, we, we discuss it all the time. Can I get 90% of the same production for 10% of the price? Yeah, if I can, I'm doing it. Um, and the, I, I struggle to see the argument. And I never liked the extension in the first place. Is he a really good player? Yes. Um, but is he easily replaceable? I think yes to a certain extent. Yeah, you're not going to get identical, but you can get really close. And the legend of Bill Callahan should be that you're cheap and good, not 
you are the most expensive and you're also good. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that we're going to have to evolve our thinking of Brown stands is you can't pay for good. You have to develop good, right? You can't just go out and say, well, he's good. This is the conversation everybody's having in the free agent market with defensive tackle, right? Let's go out and buy the good. You know, whether it's Draymond Jones or Deron Payne or Javon Hargrave, whoever it is, let's just go buy good so we know it. Because to us, it's safer. Like we're expecting, well, if I'm going to spend the money, let's spend it on the guy who has done it before. And that's kind of the idea with, with Teller. Yeah. Now, the irony is, is there was this, you know, this conversation going on about Teller and his play. I mean, at the end of the day, Teller playing almost a thousand snaps this season still finished as a top 16 guard in the league. Remember, there's 32 teams, so therefore there's 64 starting guards. He was in the top 25%. Now, Joel Batonio was number two, so it's like Batonio's two and Teller's 16, and that's just an overall, you know, grading. We're going to use grading because it's a similar scale, so it's easy. I know people can pick it apart in terms of blocking and PFF, but it's just easier because everybody is evaluated the same way. So we want consistent metrics, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, you're talking about even in pass blocking, Joel Batonio being top eight and uh, White Teller being top 27. So you're still looking at top half of the league, even in specific things for Teller. But when it comes to Yellow Froholt, the question then becomes, is he a product of the system, right? Because this is the thing we've talked about with interior offensive line. Browns fans have been spoiled because over the years, the guard play has been consistently very good, right? And that's the idea is we come to expect good guard play. Now, is that because we have guys who are good or is that because we have a system that promotes, you know, maybe it's easy for a guy to step in. And I say easy relative to an NFL player, like not like I can go in and do it, but do we have a system where a guy can step in there and know, all right, I've got good center play. I've got good tackle play. You know, I need, just need to do my job. I need to get to the outside shoulder on this stretch zone. I need to get, you know, this sealed off. So Chubb, and let's be honest, Chubb makes some of these guys a little bit better, but you know, to your point is, can we take Teller's 10 million, get similar play for 2 million? I think that's a conversation we're going to find out, not maybe this year, but maybe the year following. Yeah. If, if you're balancing out the, the growing cost of a, um, uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, where's an easy place you can do it? And it's like, I don't want to go cheap at wide receiver. I don't want to go cheap at tackle. But can I go a bit cheaper on the interior? Can I go a bit cheaper at running back? These are the spots where I'm, hey, we've seen it at linebacker and work really successfully the last three years. Um, hasn't worked as successfully at defensive tackle, but you've seen areas where that it can be done. And that for me is one way I, I think they've got to get there. Um, and hey, once Batonio eventually retires, whenever that might be, and I, I see a realistic route, but does he does he retire at the end of his current contract? Could he go somewhere in between? Could he even play longer? I, I think you don't end up replacing him with a second round pick. You don't end up replacing him with a big ticket free agent. You're probably going to look to develop these guys like Froholt. And for me, if you bring back Froholt, I don't think it's going to cost that much. I'm thinking yeah. one and a half mil probably gets it done. Before we jump into the free agent for a whole bucket, there's two other guys on the contract list right now that we have listed as being the bubble. One of them was our seventh round pick last year, Dawson Deaton, who has that guard center flexibility. I think he played center at Texas Tech, and the Browns have him listed as a guard. And the other guy is Project X, Mr. X, uh, Drew Forbes, 
who now in fairness, Deaton has not obviously taken a snap in his NFL career. He was out last year uh, with an injury. Our centers were dropping like flies. But Drew Forbes is an interesting one. So we have these two guys on the bubble. Forbes in his entire career has only played 19 snaps after being drafted in, yes, 2019. So for those that don't remember, he was drafted by in 2019, I believe, by John Dorsey, right? This yep. was Dorsey's pick. Um, he was the Project X, COVID, some injuries. He didn't see the field until this year. So, Jack, with it being 2019, we would think he'd be a free agent, but since the COVID year, the opt-out is the reason he's not a free agent until next year, correct? Yeah, so that's um, the factor and the reason there. So it's one that I expect him to be back for camp. I don't really see a route for making the roster. And even like Dawson Deaton, we've got like six preseason snaps. Um, oh, yeah. There, there is nothing to benchmark this well, guy. And, and, and this is the thing, though. This is where these guys, I mean, Forbes has been around for years. I mean, he's been with the team four years. So uh, no, we waved him and he came back. We waved him and I think the Lions picked him up and then they waved him and we claimed him again. Well, is that because John Dorsey went up to the Lions? Is that the, he followed, he followed the real football track? Well, we just waved him at going out of camp and um, someone else picked him up and then we were like, hey, we'll have him back. Yeah. So the idea is they do, when you do bring him back, you're talking about a guy who at least seems to be doing the right things. I mean, a lot of times, if you're just a guy they don't see potential and they're not going to bring you back, right? There's, they're just going to tell you, hey, go. Listen, I'm not trying to sell everybody that, you know, Drew Forbes is going to be the next Joe Tooney or the next Joel Batonio. It's just a guy, when you bring in these guards, how, where did Gelda Froh come from, right? This guy, all German name, how people didn't even know how to pronounce his name until he had already played probably 100 snaps. So, came from the outside Patriots. of those two guys, a fourth round draft pick, I want to say. Uh, that sounds about right. I think he was a, a early day three pick. Yes. But I mean, the Browns have a couple guards. That's the thing on Deaton and Forbes. You're going to see him back. You're going to see him battling in camp. And then you got to hope that one of them maybe takes that for a whole step or that, you know, what we got out of Michael Dunn previously, where they can step in and fill that, you know, offensive guard three backup flex center role. I mean, that's kind of what these guys are. That's the versatility of the inside guys. Yeah, and I think you're sort of looking along the interior. They've tended to keep 10, um, which means you've got the first, usually that's four tackles and six on the interior, but they actually did five and five last year. Hubbard was sort of a, a bit of both, you could easily argue. Um, but they're happy to carry plenty of guys. So you're looking at effectively two guys for every spot um, is where more or less the numbers come. But if you drop to nine, you expect it to be the fourth guard that gets the boot and you keep four tackles and two centers. Um, Michael Dunn's one that I expect he will get the free agency, uh, restricted free agent tender, which effectively it will be on 2.7 million, but there's no guarantees in it. A bit like what they did with Dionis. If you're really good at the end of camp and we do want to keep you, we will negotiate a deal where maybe half its incentives based on playing time or something else. And then, you um, only get half of that, but it's fully guaranteed. And the other route you can go is Cadet or Hodge, where they said, hey, you're good, but we don't really want to give you this. Goodbye. Um, so both sides of um, it can work. Yeah, so done restricted free agent, Froholtz, the UFA that you want brought back, you want him re-signed. So outside of that, I mean, that's kind of the snapshot of the guard room. 
before we get into kind of the next stage in the offseason, let's talk a little bit about the centers just because there's only two guys, right? There's oh, hold on. I want, I want to make the case for one guard that I would go out and sign. Other than Froholt? Yeah. Okay, so make your case for Yelda. Tell us why Yelda needs to be back in Berea. Oh, no, is Yelda and Berea a good fit? Yelda, 100% is a no-brainer. I'll bring him back. He was great. Um, so I, I, there's one other guy I want to make the case for, but if well, I think the non, only danger... A non-Brown? You're yeah. talking about a non-Brown. So we'll do the Brown center position, and then we'll talk about the guys that we're going to bring in outside of the building, right? So Because the Browns okay. only have two centers, right? We have Nick Harris, who we assume is going to be a lock to come back, barring injury and all that other stuff. He was going into last season as the expected starter, and that made it all of you know a play or two. And Ethan Poachers. Poachers is obviously an unrestricted free agent that was brought in last year. Probably hope to just lock onto that backup center role. As things have it, he steps in. Would he finish top five center in the league? I'm not I think he was third, I want to say. It was top five, yeah, so he finished three. And that just shows you the value of having good backups. This is the reason we have these in-depth conversations. Because you're right, Jack, when Poaches was brought in last year for two million bucks, everybody was like, well, like, why? I mean, that seems like a lot of money. Well, now you see why. No, and I think partly was they could spend a little bit money there on a veteran because Nick Harris had not proven it outside of one game. So there may have been a little bit of doubt to say, hey, even if we get 70, 80% of this, it's still not a bad idea to have this backup. So overall, uh, Pochett, you're right, finished number three. So that that's really the state of the Browns' interior offensive line. Um, do you have a strong opinion about Posich that you do about Froholt? Staying I, I, in the building? I just don't think you can realistically keep him here. Um, if it's one where we were talking about, hey, we're going to move on from Conklin and go from 15 million and that's instead three, four, maybe it's Hudson, then you make that move. Um, but then at the same time, if you've paid that 15 million, you can't suddenly go and hand out another 7 million contract. I thought it'd be five and a half, six, but it continues to rise with his play and his return. Um, so I, I, I think it's just an eye-watering sum and, it's one that he he's, he was really good, but he was never really good before that. Has he suddenly worked out how to play the position or is he elevated by the two phenomenal players either side of him plus the coaching and then you're in a position where you can bring in another guy and suddenly you do the same thing? Yeah, the odd thing with Postage is when he got drafted, former second-round pick guy LSU down to Seattle, as much of the Browns have had just kind of that consistent offensive line play, and listen, you're going to have ups and downs. I get it. Seattle was the opposite. They could never get the offensive line right, right? It's like they drafted guys, they plugged in here, they brought in this guy, they traded for this guy. It was like the most unbalanced, inconsistent offensive line in the league. So postage goes from a scenario where it's, you know, three hens in the, or three wolves in the chicken house, or whatever that damn saying is, to Cleveland, where now it's like the consistency. So if I'm his agent, I'm arguing, don't pay attention to what happened in Seattle. That was a nightmare, you know, nest over there. Look what I did in Cleveland in a structured offense, one that I can understand. So, but at the end of the day, Jack, if the number's right and Postage maybe says, you know, I'd rather stay in Cleveland and play, you know, I'd rather battle Nick Harrison. I think I can beat him out. Could he realistically look? Because Harris is gone after this year, so. Oh, I think if you're um, 
if you're paying poachers, you're paying him to a level where he's he's the starter. It wouldn't even be a competition. You're not going to pay. If you got him cheap, it'd be five million a year. Um, so if you're paying five million, you, he's not going to be your number two. Yeah. So, all right. What else we got here? Now we're going to talk about guys outside of the building. We'll just kind of group it up as guard center because there is a lot of versatility. I'll do guard first because there's not really over throw hole. There is not really anyone I would rather have. And the only way you're not getting throw hole is if someone like the Vikings come in and goes, Hey, we're paying that guy. Listen, you tell Questy to keep his grubby little hands off my German throw hole. So th- there's one other guy that I want to make the case for guard. And then you, you can do him. And then I've, I've got some, uh, there, there's some guys at um, center, but we'll get into it. So this is a third round pick for the Jets who's currently with the Falcons. He only played 55 snaps last year. So uh, one game at left guard, and it was really, really good. Um, But that's the kind of guy that I want to take the punt on and see what happens. And this is a guy called Chama Edgora. Edgar. I've butchered his name to an incredible level, but um, I'm not the one having to sign him up, uh, phone him up and sign him. Um, I, I think that would be a move that he's not someone I'm guaranteeing, but I'm bringing him in and going, look, battle with these other guys. Let's see what we can do for you. Um, and it's one where that, that, that's the kind of guy I want to chase. Who? In, yeah. Who in the name? Who are you talking about? Chimidi, who? Who? I've never heard of this guy. Who is this guy? I'll share my screen for you. If you're at oh. home, then you won't be able to uh, see. Chuma Idoga. Uh... Chuma Idoga. He's listed here as a left tackle, ironically enough. And it seems like, yeah, he just played a little bit in the left guard. I'll tell you right now, I do not remember this guy at USC. Jack is proving to me right now that this guy exists because, to be fair, I've never in my life heard of. Speaking of guys standing next to me at Target, I've never – he was standing next to me. I've never known and who that, Shuma Idoga is. The six foot four, 295-pound uh, guy, former third-round pick out of USC. There what you, you said there's your summary on Chuma Udoga. It's a good point. He's played tackle before, moved in, played one game at guard, and played it really well. Could that be one where teams are looking at him and going, It's not a tackle, we don't want him. And the Browns go, Hey, we're gonna come in and we're gonna try and make you a guard that can be great. And if you bring him in and suddenly it clicks for him across this season, you're re-signing him. And then say you have Yanni Froholt and this guy both on min deals. And you keep both of them. Then you're sat there in a year's time going, well, I've got two guys we really like here. Um, they haven't really played much because, hey, you've got two Pro Bowl level t- starting guards. Sign them both up and then let's trade Teller off and we'll work out which one's going to play next season. It's that way that you can build that depth and almost develop a guy ready. You don't When it's develop a guy to start, it doesn't have to be on a rookie deal. Um, if someone's a cheap backup and then you sign them and go, hey, we want to give you seven and a half million over three years, that player's going to sign it because he's going to think, bloody hell, yeah, um, I, I want to get a piece of that pie. And then you've got a really cheap guy. And listen, I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I'm uber familiar with a lot of these, you know, free agent guards that are out there. If the if there's a skill set, right, you've got to be talking about, Guys who can move. So if if you're looking at the free agent market, you just got to find the athletic guys. I think at this point, the consensus top guard on the market is the guy from the Ravens, Ben Powers. Um, He, at this point, seems like he might set the free agent bar 
I wouldn't be shocked if the Ravens keep him. He kind of stepped in and, you know, played 100% of their snaps there at left guard, depending on Lamar Jackson's situation. But, you know, when you look up and down the league, you'll see guys that have just been in Cleveland that have played, you know, Colby Gossett, a free agent uh, down in Atlanta. It's amazing that he's kind of stuck around. You know, we've always had just an insane number of kind of guards and stuff within the system. So I just am hard-pressed to go out and spend any guaranteed money on any of these guys because you don't really need them because at this point, to what you said earlier about postage, is is his quality dictated mainly by the guy to his left and the guy to his right? Quite possibly. So if all of a sudden I have, you know, solid center play and solid right tackle play, you know, the offensive line is a unit. That's the point is they need to move as a unit. So find guys that are under, you know, that can do zone schemes, understand guys who are mobile on their feet. I mean, they could go out and get, you know, the kid, James Ferentz, uh, Kirk Ferentz's kid out of, you know, the Iowa kid who's now with the Patriots and they could bring him in. He's, you know, a little bit older. He's a veteran. Just come on in, be your guard four, guard three, no guaranteed money. Just come into camp. Fine. Perfect. Good for it. Let's go all for it. So there's really not a crazy amount of the free agent market for guards isn't really there. So if they take another guy late in the draft, like they did Dawson Deaton, I'm all here for it. I trust Billy Callahan, damn it. So are we going to jump into some centers now? Yeah, I mean, listen, we understand the center market. We're, I, I am at this point about 90% convinced Postage will be moving on. I, I just I don't really see many options for him coming back. So the question is, who is the next Ethan Postage? That is the key question you have to ask. And Ethan Postage, if the Browns would have gone out and tried to sign him at the start of free agency, would never have agreed to the deal he signed. Because I, I think, um, I haven't got it here to go back and look at the PFF free agency guy, but they were talking about him like, I think it was four, 4.5 million maybe as his price point last off season. And the reason he signed is because, well, hey, all 30 teams, 32 teams have gone, we've, we've got our centre, not interested. And then the price drops dramatically. And that's why they got him at a price. So firstly, it's quite hard to predict those guys because predicting who's not going to get paid is a fool's errand because who knows how many teams want to pay um, a centre and get someone back. So there's a guy that would potentially be a starter that could be more reasonable. But I want to start with a backup first. And he was the Titans' backup centre. So useful one there because even though Schwartz won't have worked with him, having someone who you can talk to Schwartz and go, well, what was he like? He's going to know and he's going to have spoken to um, the agents. He's going to see these guys practice against him as well on a regular basis. So that could be somewhere they want to go. This guy is Corey. I want to make sure. Levin? Levin. I think that would be a really, really smart move um, for the Browns to bring him in. Had a nice end to the season. Um, and that's going to be one where you're not bringing him in to start. You're saying, hey, you come in, you Nick Harris battle, and you can sell a really positive story of going, do you want to back up in wherever you are now? Or do you want to come to the team that just made Ethan Postage 7 million a year? Well, suddenly that guy's going to go, get me to Bill Callahan, get me to Cleveland, and his agent's going to get it done. And listen, that's the selling point right there, right? It's the one where, hey, when I have the wide receiver, you know, system, and I'm saying, just come here. I got Mahomes. Look what the Chiefs did. Hey, free agents, who wants to play with Mahomes? You know, Green Bay did it forever. I'm not going to go out and spend first-round picks on receivers. Who wants to come play with Aaron Rodgers? 
Who wants to do this, right? Who wants to come play on the Browns offensive line? Philly's going to do this as well, right? You know, for a while, Indy kind of did it. But that's the point. It's going to be which one of you centers wants to come in and give the get the opportunity to be the next Ethan Postage. That that really becomes what the whole thing's about. It's a recruiting trip, right? Could they look at a guy like Evan Brown, you know, who was the guy from Detroit who was the center last year, then he played a little center this year, and they kind of moved him to right guard. You know, could that could it be something like that, right? Where he says, Hey man, I enjoyed center much more. I'm gonna come in, sign a cheap deal, I'm gonna be that backup center. Ultimately, there are some questions about Nick Harris. So if you're looking for a, somebody that you're going to bump off, I have no problem if we go out and sign some guy, you know, to a, a low guaranteed contract and he comes in and beats out Nick Harris for the position. Great. Fantastic. That Nick Harris is owed nothing. I, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's wonderful interview. But at the end of the day, he's not guaranteed anything. Yeah. So I will gladly bring in anybody I want who's going to give me top three center play. Who's going to be that guy? Yeah, and it's one where we look at Nick Harris and if you get a good deal where you're looking at a guy and you want to bring them in, you're going and doing that. You're not scared because Nick Harris is there. In the same way, it's like, hey, um, let, let's see, you, you're not scared to do something because Hudson's on the roster. Hey, you're not scared to do something because David Bell's going to get pushed down there. And they spent a third round pick on that guy. You're not making decisions because you have to keep a roster spot starting open for anyone. Um, if they if the spot was open for them, they would have earned it already. So, um, no, I, I think they can look around. An, an older guy, if um, just turned 30 this season, is Jake Brendel, um, the 49ers. He's not he's nothing special, but he's a guy you can bring in, not much more than the minimum, and he will do a job. Um, that There's bodies. Yeah, Billy Price is another one, veteran interior guy can play guard can play center i mean there's a few guys out there obviously garrett bradbury from the vikings he's probably going to be a little bit too rich for their blood in terms of what they're looking for but yeah again don't be shocked they find the guy they like because again these coaches sit down and look for particular skill sets they saw athleticism in ethan postage and when he signed him we kind of said well this fits what they want to do zone moving flex so at the end of the day, again, Nick Harris comes in with the benefit of Ethan Pochett's only signed a one-year deal. So his spot's there. He wants to come back and earn it. But at the end of the day, you're crazy to think that the Browns aren't going to be bringing in somebody that's going to push Nick Harris for that starting job. Yeah. Um, so keep that in mind. And don't be surprised when this takes a little bit of time. I don't expect them to be quick movers in the center market. Yeah. I think it's one where it's delayed. Um, and then they'll strike when the, the price is right. Um, so, yeah, it's a waiting game. Um, I, I expect someone to be signed pre-draft. And if you sign someone pre-draft, that probably takes them out of a lot of the, the potential draft moves um, just because you generally expect to have a couple of centers. You don't usually have loads of them. Um, so, yeah, it, it might be one way we don't see anyone. Um, ideally, that maybe they would have loved having... Dawson Deaton for a year and then you sat there you're going we know what we're doing as a backup to Nick Harris um, also remember they're going to need a guy who's going to just be able to snap the ball because Nick Harris is still coming off of an injury so they're not going to go out there with one or two they're going to have three or four guys in here to snap the ball I mean it's just that's just the way the NFL works you're going to have multiple guys and again I wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden you see a Forbes or a Deaton maybe taking the 
prim primarily all their snaps at that position. That's absolutely what it is like. Yeah, because you, you sort of expect it's three or four um, deep on the O-line through the entire camp and everything because you, you want all that experience so everyone's ready. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe Forbes is second-team guard, third-string center. That's also another possibility where if you're a guy like him, you better be able to show all of your versatility. Ah, so that's it. That wraps up the offensive side of the ball. Um, oh, the offensive side of the ball. The richest offensive unit in the NFL, right? They love throwing money there. So um might not be one where they're going out and really signing any starters this year, but they're spending money. Um, in terms of money and spend, today, um, series should have started over on the OBR, um, looking at how much money they tend to spend position room by position room. So looking at all of them, um, getting a sense of where that budget goes. So uh, give that a read and uh, enjoy. Absolutely. I think the defensive side of the ball will be a little bit more enticing for some of these free agents that are out there and who some new guys on that starting side of the ball would be because we've kind of got five, four, four of the five starters on offensive uh, on the offensive line, the quarterback, the running back, one of the tight ends, and at least two of the receivers. So there's not too much in terms of offense other than adding depth. But on the defensive side of the ball, we're going to see some new names and some new faces. So, Jack, if you don't have anything else you need to add to that guard center room, on that note, hope everyone has a good weekend. Enjoy your week. Go Browns.